Hello, everyone. I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Nick Iricchio. And we are the Movie Knights. Well, some of them. If you're watching this because you want to hear our uncensored, unfiltered thoughts and opinions in the world of movies and entertainment, so kick back, relax, and the Movie Knights Roundtable begins now. So, if you guys didn't watch the last episode, you're looking at us on Zoom going, what in the hell is going on? For the next three or four episodes, we're going to be doing this from home just for some logistical purposes. But don't worry, in about a month or so, four, three or four episodes, maybe five, who knows, uh, we're going to be back in the studio behind me with all the nice shit. And uh, we'll be continuing on from there. This is not permanent. Nicholas, how are you? You look cozy. I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm you know, sure. I'm alive. I just oh, woke up. Yeah, I'll let you <laughs> interpret that as you will. But uh, but yeah, uh, just because we're not uh, in the official studio doing this doesn't mean we don't have a good show. There's so many stories to talk about. Nicholas, uh, on the movie news section of our show, what do you got for us first? Our first story comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's final film is coming as filmmaker readies the movie critic. Sources say the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Pulp Fiction filmmaker has written a script that he is planning on directing this fall. Yeah, so um, we've heard many, many different uh, versions of speculation on his last movie. And now it looks like the movie critic is going to be the title. It's going to shoot in the fall. Uh, We know he likes to get moving on things pretty quickly. From what I understand, how he shoots is he'll pay for the production himself and the studio reimburses him and he does that so he can start right away really i didn't know that yeah so because normally if you're waiting on someone else's money you're you're you have to do what they say he's like no let's just start now and just give me the money back afterwards and he does that so when he's like it's shooting this fall it's shooting this fall um but regardless um there's some speculation as to it particularly being about a certain movie critic in history and then maybe he kind of plays with his history with which we know he loves to do but um i am uh, i personally pauline kale pauline kale is, yeah that's what the article's saying okay um that might have something to do with it um especially coming from like it was thr right yes mm-hmm. probably has something to do with it i would be surprised if for his final film he did like the changing history thing again i i would be a little bit surprised um, maybe it might be based on that person. I feel like he's going to go full fiction, full pulp fiction, if you will, on uh, this final film. And uh, while I don't think it's going to be his final film, I do think he's going to take many years off and he's going to do TV. I think he's going to do like mini series because we know mm-hmm. he loves to write and that's a writer's medium and I think he'll thrive there. But I, I think before he's before he dies, he'll he'll do one more. I, I just I I feel like he he will. But uh, what what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I think I agree with that. I mean, it's been his final film for how long? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and Liam Neeson's last action movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's very entertaining because he's someone I feel like that gets a lot of flack from critics. And it's just critics are always, I feel like, more hypercritical of him. So I think it's kind of a nice fuck you almost if his last movie is about a movie critic. And also kind of nice because I think it's going to showcase his love of movies because he did just write that book. I don't remember the name of it. Um, 
cinema speculation. That's what it was, which is just about some of his favorite movies. And he just talks about them. Um, I just don't think it's his last. I don't. And I don't even think it's going to be many years. I think that he's, he's going to get the itch. He's going to get the itch to tell a story. It's going to happen. He's going to see something. It's going to trigger him and he's going to go and he's going to sit down just to get it out of his brain. And then 90 pages later, he has an Oscar nominated movie. Mm-hmm. it's yeah, just and, what's gonna happen or or i think he'll he'll come up with excuses like he'll be like i'm only writing and directing 10 but i can write another movie i can just be the director on another movie like maybe he finally starts doing like studio shit like he finally gets that star trek movie he just doesn't write it mm-hmm. like that would be really funny or he does kill bill three because that's one movie that that see that would be which, smart which i disagree with but that's fine hey <laughs> to be fair, to his credit, he mm-hmm. did make it as one movie, and they made him cut it in half later. But I did not know that. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I believe the it was the Weinstein, the Weinstein Company, who was like, "Yeah, absolutely not. Can you release this four and a half hour movie?" <laughs> so, <laughs> right, that's just not happening. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but regardless. What do you guys think about Tarantino's quote-unquote final film going into production this fall? Let us know in the comments as we move on to our next story. Nicholas, what do you got for us next? Our next story comes to us from Deadline. Horror fans rejoice here. Following his big animated feature Oscar win for Pinocchio on Sunday, Guillermo del Toro is getting closer to finding his next live-action film. Sources tell Deadline that Andrew Garfield Oscar Isaac and Mia Goth are in early talks to star in Del Toro's Frankenstein at Netflix, which Del Toro will write and direct. Well, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely, easiest green light ever, ever. And and mm-hmm. and what's what's funny about it is, I'm upset that it's at Netflix. Like I, I hope they do like a a glass onion thing where they get to put it because I want to see Andrew Garfield, fucking Oscar Isaac, just like on the big screen in these roles. You know what I mean? Like like that that just is something I'd want to see. But mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro, I'm watching it regardless. And the article does go on to say that there's no official deal in place, but he has met with each of the people mentioned and they've all verbally said, like, just tell us when to be there. I mean, who wouldn't? Guillermo del Toro has a meeting with you. Like, hey, do you want to be in this Frankenstein movie? It's like, yes. Like, I'll clear my schedule, whatever you want. I would very much like to, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, this, look, this is really exciting. It's never a bad idea to add talent. And the fact that it's live action and the fact that, you know, these actors are going to have so much fun, honestly, dude, Every Guillermo del Toro movie has the most beautiful production design, and I'm so amped for a Frank. How nice the Frankenstein stuff's gonna look! Like I'm mm-hmm. so excited about it. Oh, it's gonna be so good. But uh, what are your what are your thoughts on this? I just want Mia Goth to be the monster. I think that would be fun. Stone Cold Facts. That would be awesome. I would love that. Uh, but I think. Probably realistically, it'll be Garfield or Isaac. But the thing is, I don't know who could be who, because I think both could do either. Yeah, they could. Both could be the doctor. Both could be the monster. Absolutely. All I know is, one, what a sexy cast. Facts. What a sexy director. (laughs) Big facts. Because I love Guillermo del Toro so much. I want to give him a hug. 
Uh, no, listen, I think uh, obviously Oscar Isaac and Andrew Garfield are big fan favorites just in all of Hollywood. And Mia Goth has quickly become this fantastic horror actress with X, Pearl, and um, what's the one you saw? I don't remember the name of it. It was Infinity recent. Pool. Infinity Pool. So I think all of this and Del Toro's horror direction, you know, I think this is just all good things. Me as well. Me as well. I, I see no downside to this at all, other than I hope they just put it on the big screen. But uh, what do you guys think about Guillermo Del Toro making a Frankenstein movie with that killer cast I was just mentioned? I hope Mia Goth is the monster too. That'd be amazing. Uh, let us know in the comments below as we move on to our next story. Nicholas, what do you got for us next? Our next story comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Smile filmmaker Parker Finn has signed a first look deal with Paramount. Uh, Finn made his feature directorial debut with one of the most profitable movies of 2022 in Smile. Yeah, so this is a trend that we've been seeing a lot with Paramount and the creative team behind that. I think recently the production company signed a deal with Paramount. And then, you know, on the other side, Walter Hamada is now over there running the horror division. And you have over on the Universal side, James Wan and Atomic Monster making deals with Blumhouse and Universal. Basically, people are locking down these horror filmmakers because something that's been consistent throughout all of film history, including through the pandemic and post-pandemic, is horror films are cheap to make and they make profits, especially if they're good, especially if they're good. And, you know, locking down this guy to be able to make more. And what's included in that article is one of the things lined up is a sequel to Smile, I think is incredibly smart. And um, again, Paramount has not been dethroned yet as the GOAT movie studio right now. I, I've been on this for since 2017 <laughs> that they've been the best. Um, Warner Brothers, watch out for Warner Brothers because they're starting to lay the groundwork for rebuilding that relationship with filmmakers. So they're going to be a contender for the best studio in the years to come. But for the past six years, it's been paramount, and they continue to make smart moves like this. What are your thoughts on this, and do you think it's a good idea to kind of lock him down? I think it's definitely an interesting trend, like you were saying, to see the horror directors being picked up like this, and these studios all going to kind of this old Hollywood style of, you know, keeping things in-house as much as possible, locking down directors, actors for all these multi-picture first-look deals. Um, did you see Smile? embarrassingly no i still have not watched it mm -hmm. I, I it's on paramount plus i'm going to watch it with hannah at some point it was okay i wasn't a huge fan of it i think probably maybe some of that was just around all the hype that was around it when i finally got to it i'm sure if i had saw it in theaters it would have been a different experience altogether uh the creature design in it is absolutely incredible one of my favorite in recent memories um it reminded me very much of um it follows just kind of tonally. Um, and I wasn't a big fan of that one personally. Um, but I still think it was very well made smile. So I'm interested to see, especially after the ending, what kind of direction they go with the sequel. But either way, I think the man has a knack for horror and these types of stories. So I'm interested to see what he comes out with post smile sequel. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good perspective to have. And, Again, Paramount's making moves. Horror's constantly making moves. I'm 
it's a great time to be a horror fan, I must say. And especially with these Evil Dead Rise reactions we're hearing out of South by Southwest. I am amped about that. But uh, what do you guys think about the director of Smile making a deal with Paramount to make more horror films, including a Smile 2? Let us know in the comments as we move on to our, I believe is our final main topic story, correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. Yes. What do you got for us, Nicholas? Uh, our next story comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. It's not so much a story as it is an interview, and I think the best way is probably to kind of walk through it. But basically, uh, The Hollywood Reporter did an interview with Ben Affleck, the actor, filmmaker, and budding mogul on the disruptive production company he launched with Matt Damon, why he's done with DC, getting Michael Jordan's blessing for his new film, and advice wife Jennifer Lopez gave him for this interview. So, first of all, I highly recommend everyone go read this whole interview. It is a fantastic interview. It's really interesting. There, it, a lot gets talked about, especially about the upcoming movie Air, which I'm stoked for. I saw early reactions out of South by Southwest saying it's peak dad movie. And that just oh, hell ex yeah. that excites me. I but, like um, Ford v. Ferrari. That's a dad yes, movie. Absolutely. Top Gun Maverick. I mean, we could yeah. sit here all day. All day. All day long, we could do this. But uh, but yeah, I'm and just Ben Affleck's one of my favorite filmmakers, like regardless of him as an actor, I think if you look at his body of work as a director, it's top notch stuff. And I think he's really good and I can't wait to see it. But the big thing in the article is uh, it's contradictory to something we had heard previously. And that is uh, we'd heard in recent times that James Gunn had met with Ben Affleck, James Gunn and Peter Safran have met with Ben Affleck about potentially directing a movie in the in their rebooted DCU universe in the DCU. And they were like, Ben wants to direct. We want to have him direct. You know, we're just looking for the right project. We just haven't figured that out yet. But yeah, you know, we we would love to work with him. And in this interview, Ben Affleck straight up says like, yeah, no, I'm not going to direct a movie for the gun DC. And then he, he quickly is like, I have nothing against James Gunn. I think he's, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, I have nothing against James Gunn. I think he's a good guy, but just what they're doing in their direction, I just I have no desire to go be a part of it. I'm I'm good. And it was just like, oh, like that was pretty, pretty blunt, pretty direct. And it was contradictory to what we heard before. And it so it comes as a bit of a surprise. Were you taken back by that idea? Or do you kind of see why Ben Affleck doesn't want to really step into all that? Um, I think I get it too. I think it was an interesting thing that James Gunn said it, especially if that was the case or what happened post that meeting if that meeting actually happened that would make Ben Affleck say this now but I think he's always been someone that thrives doing his own thing more so than something under like the main you know oversight of it because you know he makes a movie for Warner Brothers I don't know who made Air but you know he's reporting to the studio but then if he does DC, he's reporting to James Gunn. He's reporting, you know, there's so many different layers. It's, he has to be concerned with the interconnectivity of the universe. And given his past experiences with, like, Justice League and everything, I could see why he'd just be like, you know, I, I did it. I think I'm good. I don't need to get involved anymore. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I've seen speculation online, and I, I, I am now on board the speculation of... You know, assuming the benefit of the doubt that not neither party was lying about that original meeting with James Gunn, I think that um, what might have ended up happening was at the time of the meeting, um, Ben's just keeping his options open. 
and mm-hmm. he's probably he's probably heard some rave reviews about air and now he's like okay i'm good like i can i can do another one of these like i can keep going in this direction because yeah, i know he, live by night didn't do too well right no and so, so like, oh, this bombs yeah yeah so i, th- I think he might have just been keeping this is a theory i think he might have just been keeping that in his back pocket of like you know if this goes south let's hop over there but you know apparently air is really great and apparently he's going to be fine and hey look i love if he was lying i love if he ended up directing a dc film like i said i love him as a as a filmmaker but um yeah no i i i'm happy for him you know he seems he looks incredible he looks really healthy and he seems content with all his decisions and he's got this production company with matt damon they're gonna crush it and also in that article he talks about the justice league reshoots and like mm-hmm. how terrible they were. And like that was just so interesting to read. And just like it was so funny. He was like, Yeah, Joss comes in and he says, Don't worry, I have the secret. It was not the secret. <laughs> just like the way he said it was so funny. Well, my favorite part of it was when he talks about Joss Whedon's Justice League and Zack Snyder's Justice League. And he's like, mm-hmm. I think it's entertaining that my lowest rated movie and my highest rated movie are the same movie. <laughs> yeah and and he is like it's it's ridiculous and and he also said i'm glad he said this he goes by the way because he talks about being in the flash and he's like i'm in that movie for five minutes but i think it's my best performance as the bruce wayne character and he's like you know because you know of all the work we did and he goes and by the way especially the first one i worked on i liked what i did and i was like fucking we like it too thank you bvs (laughs) yeah Absolutely. I think my favorite thing was when he talks about getting the Zack Snyder Justice League mm-hmm. remade. And he goes, and I think what happened is Zack Snyder eventually went to AT&T. It was like, look, I can get you four hours of content. And then he goes, <laughs> principally, it's just all the slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, then he reached out to me. It was like, do you want to come shoot in my backyard? And he was like, I think there's unions. And he goes, but I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, no it's no yeah do you think they'll get him on the promo tour for flash if he's only in it for five minutes it's possible you know he's in you a trailer he's done. yeah i i, I think I, I think if he does do press it'll be more press than what ezra miller does <laughs> i think uh, that's i that's think that's fair. fair that's fair to say but uh <laughs> he'll but, do yeah. his job he'll post it on his instagram and have yeah. a nice day yeah, but uh, but what do you guys think about all of the uh, the whole interview? If you've read it, but mostly that he has made it firm, he is no, he is not going to be directing a movie in the DCU. Um, let us know in the comments as we move on to the B roll section of our show. What's the B roll? Well, it's basically an extension of the movie news section of our show, except we don't have really a lot of time to dive into the depths of the story, but still wanted to bring you the headlines to let you know what's going on. Nick, what's first up on the B roll? Our first one comes to us from Variety. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery announces a rebranded Access Directors program. So what that is, is basically it's a way to assist and nurture television directors through workshops and shadowing led by Warner Brothers Discovery's diversity, equity, and inclusion team. Participants receive the opportunity to direct a full WBB television episode in addition to workshops and all these virtual curriculum and stuff. It's basically just a way to nurture and yeah. I think it's a great program that they're moving forward with. Yeah, and it, and it comes off the heels, this rebranding, it comes off the heels of them and, and, and originally saying that it was canceled. Mm-hmm. And now that backlash has hope, thankfully served it to where they're going to continue it, but they're just going to change it up a bit. So I'm glad that it's still around. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, next one comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Batman Cape Crusader animated series moves to Amazon with a two-season order right off the bat. The series comes from J.J. Abrams, Matt Reeves, and Bruce Timm, who uh, Bruce Timm is the original creator of Batman the Animated Series, which is the best Batman animated series Correct. to come out. Um, just a quick note on that. I feel like this is maybe one of the first times that uh, Zaslav has messed up, in my opinion. Yeah, I know that he kind of moved away from animation is focused on live action and stuff. But how do you get rid of a J.J. Abrams, Matt Reeves, Bruce Tim Batman series playing devil's advocate? I think you get rid of it because it's expensive. And, and I think by by selling the rights to Amazon, they now have paid for the show mm-hmm. and it's free advertising on Amazon for someone to be like, this is good. You want to watch other Batman and they go to HBO Max. I mean, look, I, I as a consumer, it's aggravating. Like, I yeah. wish it was all under one roof, how they were originally trying to do it. But I do think if his goal was to save money, you know, paying all three of those people is not cheap. To me, this feels like when Universal said no to Christopher Nolan. Or no, Warner Brothers said no to Christopher Nolan? Yeah, Warner Brothers. And he went to Universal. And it's like, how do you drop that ball? <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, I'm going to watch. Uh, our next one comes to us from Deadline. Florence Pugh and Andrew Garfield to star in We Live in a Time from Studio Canal and uh, Sunny Marsh. It looks like um, two negotiations. Doesn't tell you anything about the script yet. Plot details are being kept under wraps. It's being described as funny, deeply moving, and an immersive love story. Andrew Garfield, Florence Pugh, rom-com, their day one. Somewhere, Hannah has just fainted. And... <laughs> I think I just heard her pass out in the other room. Do you yeah. want to go check on her? Yeah, yeah, no, she'll she'll be <laughs> fine. But uh, but uh, yeah, no, this is excellent news. And I mean, two of the best actors working today in a movie. I'm there. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it looks like the worst movie ever when the trailers come out. I'm I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, next one comes from Deadline. Jack Black and brothers Bobby and Peter Farrelly, the team behind the 2001 comedy Shallow Hal. Look to be reuniting for the holidays and bringing an infamous character along for the sleigh ride. Sources tell Deadline that Black is set to star in a Christmas comedy, Dear Santa, with Bobby Farrelly set to direct. The movie centers on a young boy who, in writing his yearly note to Santa, mixes up the letters and sends it to Satan instead. That's fucking funny. <laughs> I'm all aboard for that. <laughs> you know Jack Black is playing Satan. I mean, I could see him playing Santa, but I, I, I almost feel like he's playing Satan. Like, I feel, I feel like, like that's, that's the, the flip. Like, yeah. you're going to expect him to be Santa. Yeah. Honestly, he could do both. And I think he would do great. I'm surprised it's not animated. That feels like that'd be a good animated movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't put Satan in an animated movie. Like, 90, not 90, but a, a huge section of parents won't understand storytelling and be like, I'm not taking my kid to see something with Satan in it. You know, it, mm. you know I mean, how they did that. They did that same joke in um, the one of the Santa Claus thing on Disney+. Plus. Where they were like, welcome home, Santa, but the elves accidentally spelled Satan. And then Santa's like, ah, you mixed it up. And then they're like, oh, and they fix it. But people took that screenshot of welcome home, Satan, put it all over old people Facebook. And we're like, can you believe they're exposing our children to this? You know, it's it's going to it's going to do it's going to, you know, you got to <laughs> yeah. you got to watch out for it. So I think if they, market it, yeah, if they market it to the adult audience, I think it'll be it'll be fine. But, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is there um 
Next one comes to us from Deadline. Almost 16 years ago, Denzel Washington and Ridley Scott wowed audiences with their hit crime, crime drama, American Gangster. And now it looks like they're set to be getting back together. And it uh, looks like Washington is in final negotiations to star in the Gladiator sequel, which uh, recently just has Oscar-nominated actor Paul Mescal and is rumored to also have uh, Oscar-nominated actor Barry Keoghan. Ridley Scott is a making Gladiator, too. Like... Like, it's not, this isn't one of those movies where he's like, yeah, let's get a check and let's get it, you know, under budget and on time and keep my reputation. He's like, no, nah, we're fucking going, we're going out, out on this. for like, this movie. Yeah. If I die after this, it's fine. Yeah, like, I, I think he, he's wanted to make this for a long time and he's he's not holding back. I no. I love this. Put Denzel Washington in everything. Um, Yeah, I'm excited. That's That's all. Um, and that's it for the B-roll. Uh, one more story I wanted to toss in, more of just a sad news, but more of a mm. little respect here. Uh, Lance Reddick, the actor, passed away. Uh, as of right now, it's uh, natural causes. I believe they're doing like the autopsies and everything like that, but he's a fantastic actor. I loved him on the Bosch TV series on Amazon. Uh, obviously, he's in the John Wick movies. Um, is he in four coming out? He is. He is in four. Um, and a bunch of other the wire, I believe he got his mm-hmm. big hit on. He was the voice of Commander Z- Z- Zala Z- in uh Destiny 2, and I think the first Destiny video games. Um, very sad news, yeah. No, it's incredibly sad news, especially right before the John Wick 4 opens. Really, really mm-hmm. sad. And um, he was an incredible character actor, he was good in everything he did, and he was bar none the funniest guest on the eric andre show of all of all time he is if you haven't seen him on the eric andre show you have to he is one of the only people i've ever seen that makes eric break and really you got eric andre to laugh twice oh wait is that when he does like the lavar burton joke yeah the starch (laughs) everyone should look up that yes it's so funny And he's also the guy that punches the desk and says, you need a new desk. Like, that is amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. But, yeah, he will be missed. That mm-hmm. that was shocking when I read that. That that yeah. was really At surprising. 60, I believe, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for, for, bringing that, for bringing that in. Um, you know, transitioning from that somber note, uh, let's move on to the box office. The box office. Section of our show. Nicholas, do you have our predictions? Do you happen to have those? Oh boy, I do. Let's see. All right, Dalton, you did Shazam 2, Scream 6, Creed 3, Ant-Man 3, and 65. I did Shazam 2, Scream 6, Creed 3, Ant-Man 3, and Cocaine Bear. We were both wrong. Oh boy. (laughs) But it was close. It was close. So um, coming in first place, making $30.5 million was Shazam Fury of the Gods. It's a little underwhelming. Uh, coming in, yeah, coming in second place, dropping 61%, which is a little bit more than normal, but not too bad, especially with how high it opened, is Scream 6, making $17.5 million. Uh, coming in third was Creed 3, making $15.3 million, dropping 44% from week two to week three. Coming in fourth was 65, dropping 53%, making $5.8 million. And coming in fifth, Ant-Man and the Wasp making another four million dollars. So we just had sixty-five. For me, I just flipped sixty-five and Ant-Man, 
But um, let's let's dive into the numbers a little bit more here. Uh, right now, Shazam: Fury of the Gods has a worldwide total of sixty-five million dollars on a production budget of one hundred and twenty-five. Um, that's not good. Okay. Right now, it's made 0.5 at times its budget back, and hopefully, it can do better. We're going to get into our, our review of that a little bit later in the show. Um, Scream Six now has a worldwide total of 116 million dollars. Um, and you know that budget was less than that, so th- they're without a doubt already profitable. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Creed Three now is now crossed 200 million worldwide. It's at 224 million dollars worldwide on a budget of 75. It's made three times its budget, making money. Eight. Money. Good for Michael B. Jordan. That is really great to see. And 65, on the other hand, worldwide has a production budget, had a production budget of $91 million and has made 38, has made 0.4 times its budget back. That's a shame. Which, by the way, I think, I think I'm going to watch that today. I think Which one? 65. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania worldwide has made $462 million on a budget of 200. It's only made 2.3 times its budget back so far. So that is rough for Ant-Man. Really rough. But uh, but yeah, that's the box office top five. Uh, I am going to dive into Cocaine Bear. Its worldwide total is now at $74 million. Uh, you know, good for them. I don't remember how much that movie costs. It's not listed here on the site that we use, but, you know, hopefully it's it's um i hope that movie's profitable that's what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. so um you know we'll we'll see there uh let's talk about Shazam um it opened lower than the first film did the first film opened the year before the pandemic and the first film also was considered a bit of an underperformance in its total run so you know seeing this is really disappointing especially with how beloved the first film is and it's it, the first film is a great movie um mm-hmm. do you think this has to do with dc announcing the reboot do you think this has something to do with it because i think it's a mix i think that's part of it i don't think that's the main reason i mostly think just the marketing dropped the ball on this movie like the marketing was not good from the get-go mm-hmm the marketing was very lackluster for it. Uh, reviews for the movie haven't been great, which we'll get into ours. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, why go see, you know, for people that don't go to the movies frequently like us, what's driving you to go see something when you know, oh, it's pointless anyway? You know, what's the, you know, like, I think that, there was no outside appeal to it. So, like, I don't think Aquaman is going to perform well. But, like, Shazam, or uh, Flash, when people see, oh, shit, Michael Keaton's back as Batman, that's a draw for them to want to go to see it. Mm-hmm. I feel like Shazam and Aquaman probably don't have that draw. Like, I would be surprised if Blue Beetle doesn't perform well as... Those are the last four movies, right? Or three? Mm. Yeah. You know, I think there's just too many factors. Because why? if you know something's going to be rebooted, why go see it? Yeah, no, I mean, I, for an outside I mean, force, I mean, I'm gonna see them. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's part of it, and I think mm-hmm. the reviews didn't help, and I think the there was a sudden turn on Shazam as a character that I was noticing at least on social media, where people were kind of suddenly going off on saying like, 
and this might have something to do with something that Zachary Levi tweeted out weeks before the premiere, but <laughs> a bunch a bunch of people just saying that like, oh, the Asher Angel Zachary Levi performances don't match, and 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 it became like this huge thing on social media of people kind of. Mm-hmm. giving their two cents on that and i don't know it was it was odd timing because like i remember when the first trailer for this came out it was an exciting time like it was like oh finally like we're getting shazam too and you know now and i don't think black adam's performance helped either Mm-mm. so you know i i think this is it's a shame to see because i don't think david f sandberg deserves this at all i think he's an amazing filmmaker and he's an amazing personality for those of you that don't know or are interested in filmmaking the director of this film david f sandberg he not only has made great films such as lights out such as annabelle 2 such as shazam um he started off making short films i believe he's from sweden and he um he made the lights out short film that blew up and it got him all of this work out in you know in america and in la and he actually has a youtube channel called pony smasher that's his online handle everywhere and um every now and then he'll break down um stuff he's done in his own movies he'll make little horror short films he'll just go talk about like oh here's like a fun vfx thing that you guys probably didn't know and it's really interesting and fascinating he's a really really nice personality and nice guy he recently did a video about what it's like to go to comic con as a filmmaker and like all the obligations you have and he like you he went through his whole day and it was so exhausting and it just like i thought that was like interesting to to see but yeah he doesn't deserve this uh he has mentioned that he's going to make a horror film next, which I'm excited about because his horror films are great. Mm. I, I kind of just went on there. I didn't, I didn't have like an end point. But, uh, <laughs> no, but, I mean, uh, I, I agree. I do like him and it sucks to see, but it also kind of makes sense. And they probably knew this going in, you know, studio tracking these days is pretty they, on par so they, they were going in because they put something in a tv spot that i i still can't believe especially yeah. with how small of a role the person they put in their tv spot has like it would have made more sense if they would have played a bigger part in the third act but they just show up and dip yeah like, that's it <laughs> but yeah that yeah. was that was something that was something you want to get but, into uh, uh next week predictions oh yeah let's do it all okay, right. You, you you go first. I want to hear yours. Is it just John Wick coming out? I think the only other release is that uh, new Willem Dafoe movie is going wide. Willem Dafoe is a new movie? Yeah, he's in a movie where he's the only actor in it. It's called Inside. Interesting. Yeah, hold on, let me let me make sure for you real quick here. I'm going to go nutty with it. You're John going nutty. Wick, John Wick 4. Uh, shocking that you've Scream, made that choice. Scream 6. Okay. Shazam 2. Creed 3. Inside. It's terrible um, guesses. But mo- movie, a movie called Moving On is also coming out, but this is literally the first I've heard of it. Uh-huh. So... All right, that's interesting. I'm going to go John Wick 4, number one. Mm, how big of a drop is Shazam going to have? Mm, 
You know what? I, I'll keep Shazam 2 at number 2. I'll go John McFour, Shazam 2, Scream 6, Creed 3. I'm going to keep 65 in there. I'm going to go 65 at 5. Okay. I like it. That's respectable. I I don't know. I, I have a feeling, you know how last time you thought Ant-Man was going to go over 65? It might be. It might be this week. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But yeah, you know, those, you never know what those choices. But uh, yeah, that is the box office of this week, guys. And lastly, we're going to move on to the movie review section of our show. And surprise, surprise, if you haven't figured it out yet, um, that is Shazam Fury of the Gods. We finally got to watch Shazam 2 in theaters. And um, I'm going to start off here and say that it wasn't bad. I didn't dislike the movie at all. Um, is it nearly as good as Shazam 1? No. I, I do think it is a big step down from Shazam 1, especially because I, I think Shazam 1 is a great movie. I don't think it's a good movie. I think Shazam 1 is a great movie. And mm-hmm. I think it is a step down from from that. And um, But what this movie really has going for it is the dynamic and the chemistry between all of the Shazam family. And that includes both the adult actors and the child actors. Like they all did great together, mixing and matching. Like it, you buy it. The humor was on point. Every You buy everything. I know, as I mentioned earlier, there's this new wave going on of like saying Shazam's performance doesn't match up. I personally feel that it does. Yes, Zachary Levi can be silly, but Asher Angel also says snarky, sarcastic things when it's, him so like i i personally never felt that difference Mm -hmm. personally um they give oh my gosh the actor who plays freddie who is in it jack dylan glazer jack dylan glazer he gets a lot of heavy lifting to do in the movie and he does really well for the most part i mean there's some stuff he keeps in situations where no matter who's in that role like they can't really buy that scene but he does a really great job. They gave Digimon Hanzu a lot to do. They let him be show his comedic chops, and he was really funny. Um, Rachel Zegler was also in the film. Uh, I think she did the best that she could with the dialogue she was given. I, I don't think the writing surrounding her and also surrounding the villain characters of the film with Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu, I feel like the dialogue there uh, was a bit off. The dialogue overall in the film was kind of clunky. However... I think the perform. I think the performers had fun. I think Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu were kicking it, like you know they were having a good time. Then I think they did the best they could. But I will say the biggest weak link in this film are the antagonists and the antagonists and like the whole main story purpose for existing just didn't seem like literally when I when it when you realize what the story of the film is, I'm just like why 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 why. <laughs> Like, well, what are we doing this for? Like, it just didn't seem... It, it, it. There's something that happens at the end of the movie, and I feel like the entire movie was built around so they could do that, which felt off. But mm-hmm. I think that um, there's a lot of great stuff in the film, and I think overall I, I thoroughly enjoy the movie. Again, it is not nearly on par with Shazam 1, but I don't think it is a particularly awful film. I think if you ask me right now, what would you rather rewatch, Ant Man three or Shazam two? I would pick Shazam two. Interesting. And now, again, 
because I think if you take Kang out of Ant-Man, I don't know how much I like that movie. Mm -hmm. If you take the villains out of Shazam, it's a better movie. <laughs> like I don't know, like how to really go there. You know, if you took the dynamic out of Shazam too, I wouldn't really want to watch it either. The dynamic with everybody. So, you know, mm -hmm. each one has its own thing going for it. It was just trying to, and making that comparison, but I think a big missing component of this movie was I really liked the villain of the first film, Dr. Savannah. Mm -hmm. And well, Mark Strong is a terrific actor. Yeah. And, and, and he had his own backstory. You believed his motivation. You understood why he was doing what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And in this film, on paper, you understand why they're upset, the villains of this film. But it's just a blanket statement like, this is why we're mad. And then it just moves. And you never mm -hmm. really get the moments alone you get with them. They weren't enough to really intrigue me about them. And I didn't feel this connect to want to learn more about the villains in that way, like I did with the first film. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's still a recommend from me. However, I do think it is a big step down from Shazam 1. Okay. I, <laughs> I have very differing opinions on this one, actually. Um, I think that it got rid of the wrong things from the first one. I think that the charm of the first one was like the family dynamics and everything. And it's kind of something if you want to compare it to Ant-Man as well. Like I love the family dynamics with the ex-wife and like that whole unit. And I feel like we get the interplay of them as kids, as the adult versions of the superheroes. But I feel like the kids have better chemistry than all the adult actors but they really focus more on the adult side of things. And especially like with the parents, like I love that whole storyline, like with the two parents of the foster home, like when they come into the mix, it's really good. And granted in this one, there was such, the dialogue wasn't great with them. And you clearly, the minute they, like his first line to the actors who plays the mom, you're like, oh, that's the emotional beat for the third act. I like, they didn't even try to like kind of hide that. Um, I think the creature designs, you get kind of glimpses of them in the trailers. I think they're on point, um, which I think was a big thing in the first one too. Like I love the designs of the Seven Deadly Sins. Um, and I think the opening scene might actually be my favorite scene in the movie. And I think when that scene was happening, it's kind of more horror-esque letting David F. Sandberg kind of do his thing. And I was like, yes, that's why you give Slither Guardians of the Galaxy. That's why you give Evil Dead Spider-Man. Like, more horror directors should direct superhero movies. Um, I did feel the disconnect between the two performances with Zachary Levi and Asher Angel. And I feel like that might only be because I think that Asher Angel was severely sidelined in this movie in favor of Zachary Levi's performance which I think is a shame because I think Asher Angel is the better actor. Um, and then there's just like some dialogues that you just kind of have to go, you know, like the, I've seen all the Fast and Furious movies and it's like, okay, except the ones with the person that looks exactly like you. Mm -hmm. But that's just the comment that Spider-Man makes a Star Wars reference, but he doesn't know Mace Windu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
That being said, though, I think the Fast and Furious franchise makes better use of Helen Mirren. <laughs> um, I'll give you that. I think that they gave a lot to Jack Dylan Glazer. I agree. And I think his scenes with Digimon Hinzu's wizard, I think, are the best kind of scenes in the movie. And that's when I kind of felt the same charm and fun of the first one. Mm-hmm. I think it just suffers from sequel syndrome of more effects, more budget, more scale, more set piece. And instead of these kind of personal moments that we got in the first one, like the scene in the first movie when he goes and finds his mom. Oh my God. Like nothing in this movie reached the emotional heights of that. Big agree. Big agree. So we're just kind of left with noise and the noise was fun that we got. I mean, I like to watch people fight dragons because who doesn't, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But when you have that, but if this was the first Shazam movie, I think it would have been a lot different received. But when people who are big fans of the first one see it, it's kind of just like, eh. Yeah. And I I did not like the Rachel Zegler storyline, personally. Mm -hmm. That felt kind of forced in and was odd to me because it seemed like it was there to even out things Yeah, at the end of the movie. But Mm -hmm. that felt unnecessary because that's just diminishing what the other heroes do. Yeah. And I, it's funny you mentioned that because I was reading an interview with the director, David Sandberg, and he was talking about the Rachel Ziegler thing, and he had cast her before she was cast in West Side Story. Mm-hmm. And the original like idea was in the marketing, they weren't going to tell you that Rachel Ziegler was like, had powers, which they do in the first trailer for Shazam 2. Yeah. And then like, and that was supposed to be like a big reveal because he said in the test audiences, something that they loved is they didn't figure it out with her. And when West Side Story hit, they were like, well, we need to let people know that, like, we have a player. We have, like, Rachel Zegler as a player in this film. So they changed the marketing strategy. And I'm wondering, in hindsight, like, if we hadn't known that going in, how it would have played out. Like, I'm, I don't know. I'm cu- curious about that. But um, regardless, I feel like that aside, I feel like the dialogue, the scene, like, it was just... Yeah, no, I, I agree. Everything felt yeah. very just generic in this one, like an AI very, written very, sort very of... Very, first draft. Yeah. And um, the, the only places I'll really disagree with you is um, the... I like the dynamic with the kids. They were... There's a lot less of them in this movie <laughs> than the first movie. And I do agree that Asher Angel does get sidelined in the movie a lot. But... um, And I think Asher Angel is a great actor, and I think he's going to continue growing to be a great actor. I think Zachary Levi is a good actor. I mean, I, I've never seen him in anything that I've disliked yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's starting to get a little one note. And I think that um, he sh- his next project, he should do something like not in his comfort zone. Like, you know, me, Mr. Hollywood agent who knows all over here. But I'm just saying, like, if it were me, I would now I would do a movie that's like completely the opposite of what Shazam is. Just mm-hmm. to like remind people like, hey, I act, you know, like I can do this and you know it's I, I just don't think he's i don't think zachary levi has figured out the character yet i disagree because that whole that whole first movie was magical and i think in that first movie mm-hmm. he knew exactly what the character was and everything was firing on all cylinders and so do you think film. he just suffered this movie not it's not on levi it's on the script the dialogue I, he was given I, to work with i think majority of the movie's problems is on that mm-hmm. a thousand percent and it's not the worst superhero screenplay like 
I've seen or heard rather, but I think it's because even in the sequencing of events, it was a bit off. Like mm -hmm. the, the, what I'll give the scripts is there's some world building stuff I enjoyed greatly. Like all the doors, we get to see more of that. Like the library and Steve, the pen. I love that character a lot. That was fun. Yeah. And just like, like that stuff was really interesting. It was just the, the, exp the exposition and how the movie decided to move the plot along via exposition did not work. Like that was really, mm -hmm. really bogged it down. And I think, um, with how charming and humorous the movie was and all of that stuff worked, it couldn't counterbalance all the, all the other stuff fully. But I think overall as a film, especially that opening sequence, that horror sequence is really well done. Yeah. I think that, you know, the movie really is a mixed bag. I just, I lean positive towards it. I probably would give it the same grade. I would give Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is like a B minus mm -hmm. probably, but you know, it's, I'm going to watch it again. How how much do you think Skittles paid for advertising in that movie? That's a good question. Now, here's the thing. That type of joke almost seems like it could have been written in. Because mm -hmm. I, I haven't seen the first Shazam in a while. Because I saw it like a couple times when it was in theaters. And then I watched it once when I, excuse me, yeah. got the 4K. And then I hadn't watched it since, maybe in like a year or two. And I don't remember if that character liked Skittles in the first movie. Like, I don't I don't remember. So uh, I don't remember. I just rewatched it recently. I didn't catch anything. Okay, so like that, yeah. It, if they did, it, it had had to be in the tens of millions. Like you know that 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 was almost Krispy Kreme and Power Rangers level like <laughs> stuff. You, you know what it is? I think about this one, and I think that it's it for a superhero movie. It leans more comedy. It relies heavily on comedy. And if you look at a movie like Deadpool, right? If you rewatch the first Deadpool, it's a joke a minute. And sometimes they don't land, but that's okay because you're immediately at the next joke. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what this movie does, except most of the jokes don't land. I see. I see. For, I for think me, is the issue. For me, there's some that are very funny. Yeah. For yeah. me, a lot of the jokes did land, and that's probably where the hindrance of enjoyment leans for us. Mm -hmm. But I. I, I do think that I want to emphasize because we, we had this conversation with like the group of friends outside the movie where I'm like, I'm like Shazam one's a great movie. And the consensus among the group was like, ah, it's okay. And I was like, I'm not going to let, I'm, we're not going to blow past that. Like me personally, mm -hmm. I think Shazam one is a great movie. I think like, I, I think had it as my third movie. favorite DC movie. Like it is a great movie. Yeah. And, and, so you do feel that drop in quality, mm -hmm. but I I didn't walk out of the movie being upset that I watched it or like disliking it overall. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, of course, it is me talking and I'm predisposed to not to to liking things. <laughs> if if I walk out of a movie and I say that movie was not good, that movie was not good. <laughs> like, you know. I, I, I try to look for the enjoyment and things, but um, I, I will, you know, say it is a big, it was a big step down in quality from, from one to two, but it's, it's still a recommend for me. I, I don't know about you. I, you know what I think it is. And I'm going to keep using this example. Multiverse of madness did not feel the madness of the multiverse. I did feel the quantum mania. Mm -hmm. I don't think I felt the fury of the gods. in this. Didn't one. feel the fury of the gods. Huh? I feel like with that title, it just, realistically he pissed off two mm -hmm. 
you know yeah like with the gods i was expecting like you know the name shazam is after like a bunch of the different gods zeus Mm -hmm. atlas others um you know i was expecting something like that coming into the play not just two yeah that's that's fair that's fair but um before we go though there was one beat in the film that i really did enjoy Mm-hmm. And where I thought, because like I agree with you that the emotional one with the mother at the end was it, it fell flat. Mm-hmm. Other than like, oh, I won't spoil it, but there was part of it that didn't fall flat, but the overall moment fell flat. Mm-hmm. A moment that didn't feel flat, and I, I'm going to say it because they show it in the trailer, is um, the Shazam character throughout the movie kind of thinks that the wizard made a mistake. And there's yeah. a great there's a great sequence in the end where Digimon Hanzu gives him a speech where he's like i it, i did not make a mistake and i thought that moment worked really well yes. but then it was immediately followed by that moment with the mother i think they were like one right after another and it um it did hinder it but you know it, it, inconsistent i think would be a great word to describe the movie yeah because i mean even from the trailers you kind of see that this concept is that helen mirren and lucy Liu are upset Mm-hmm. and they're just going around and what the trailer tells you is that they're just trying to take the powers back from these kids yeah and i think there was too much flip-flopping with that idea in the movie as a whole mm-hmm. whereas i feel like if they had played it like that was fully what was happening and they're just like taking out these kids left and right i feel like that added a lot more stakes yeah through it of like throughout the whole movie shazam's like oh crap like I need to fight them. Yeah, and like, mild spoiler, mm-hmm. if they would have committed to a decision that they made, I think it significantly helps the movie. Yes. Um, I, I'm glad you know exactly what I'm talking about. And two, in regard of, like, the stakes, I think if the, another, again, mild spoilers for Shazam 2, I think if once the kids got turned, they couldn't be turned back, Yeah, it would have raised it a bit. I think that that that's kind of what I was trying to get across. Yeah. Yeah. But like the um that one decision that they make at the end, which leads to, you know, a very cool fan moment, which I did get goosebumps when I heard a particular character's theme song. But I if they would have committed to that decision, I would have been like ballsy, you know. But mm-hmm. uh didn't exactly work out that way. But uh but yeah, so are you are you I- go ahead. I did like the post credit scenes. I did too. I think those were some of the better scenes of the movie. Um, I, yeah. But at the same time, are they leading anywhere? <laughs> the gun reboot, you know? What is Who this? Who knows? Who yeah. knows? But I will say, do you recommend? No. Ooh, we got a we got a one of each. It's been a while since that's happened. It is, yeah. All right, one of each, guys. Who? All seven movie nights listeners, who are you gonna <laughs> listen to? Are you gonna listen to Nicholas or myself? Um, but yeah, um th- I believe that's all we had for the the show today. Um yeah. Nicholas, thank you as always for being an of amazing course. partner and co-host, and thanks for doing it from home for a couple days. Of course, of course. And uh yeah, thank you guys so much for watching, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>